What is happening everybody? This is the Body Mindset Matter podcast with Ryan Stewart and today I have another Quora question and answer session. Um, I'm going to start off here, well I'm going to start off by thanking everyone for their likes, their upvotes and their comments on the previous question and answer sessions and um, you guys seem to like it so I'm going to keep doing them. Um, I literally, just for an insight into what I do, I literally click on my answer section and then I click on the section that says for you, questions for me. And then I just try and answer as many as I can, picking randomly as I go through them. So if your question does or doesn't get answered, um, just wait for probably the next episode and I'll probably get to it. So the first question here is, how can nutrition help macular prevent macular degeneration progression? And how can you cook healthy meals within your kitchen? First thing I need everyone to realise here that any problems with the eyes, whether that be with eyesight, the vision or any soreness in around this area, it really becomes from, or really comes from your your sort of inability to digest, absorb and utilise that protein. Because this is really what, this is what affects your muscles. Like, you know, getting lactic acid in that, in that area, especially when these muscles are so, so small in around the eyes, it really means that you're not getting enough protein to that area. Now, I ask people, or not I ask people, I sort of always wonder why. Maybe sometimes after drinking or not getting enough sleep whenever the body's very debilitated and you're quite tired, why you maybe get pain in around the eye area. And it also sort of struck me whenever my brother was a lot younger and he was sort of born with a condition of the liver and he had to wear glasses very early in life. And I sort of put all this together that in that sort of state, whenever the body's not able to utilise the protein sources and sort of replenish you know, your protein to the muscles that are in need, well, then you're going to have problems even at the even at the level when the muscles are so so small. You know you think it wouldn't affect their muscles, but whenever the protein utilization gets to such a low level, this is this just shows how bad then that condition is within the body. And you would see this mainly with you can see this mainly with like cancer patients, people with autoimmune disorders, and the elderly that are very sick in hospital. You know this is the protein wasting state that they go into the cachexic state, if that's how you pronounce it. They go into this state very soon and then the next step really is the shutting down of the organs because you're only able to digest, absorb and assimilate your foodstuffs. So how can nutrition help prevent macular degeneration? We need to realise that, and like another point here is that people say your eyesight gets worse as you get older. I don't necessarily think it's your eyesight gets worse. I think your digestive, your digestive system gets worse as in your ability to sort of break down proteins and then absorb and utilize them. For example, hydrochloric acid apparently diminishes by around what forty to fifty percent by the age of thirty-five, which is a shocking amount at that age. And also, with overtoxicity in this world, problems with the liver, the gallbladder, and the pancreas. I mean, how many people get diabetes nowadays? This can also then um, prevent the uh, release of the pancreatic enzymes, especially the proteolytic enzymes, which break down your proteins. Now, a mixture of all this here, poor hydrochloric acid secretion. And then per release of the pancreatic enzymes, proteolytic enzymes, that is going to cause a lot of problems within your protein absorption, digestion and utilisation. And this could be then why people are saying that, you know, it's just you get older and your eyesight gets worse. Well, maybe not. Maybe that is the reason in the first place. But that's just me theorising. It might not be right. Um. So how can nutrition help this? I think we need to get... From a firm basis here, we need to get the digestion back on track 
I mean, you can go into my core, there's many answers there on how you can increase hydrochloric acid and how you can remove symptoms of indigestion. That would be my starting point. Um, trying to boost the functioning and the trying to boost the functioning and restoring the function to your liver cells, to your liver as a whole, to your gallbladder, to the bile flow, and then to the pancreas as well. You know, removing things such as hybridized wheat. I actually read there that eating hybridized wheat, especially from white flour sources, you know, the bread in your shelves, they actually contain antigens that attack the pancreas and then are attached to the pancreas and then your body like sort of uh, revolts an immune response against that, damages your own pancreatic cells and then this results in a lot of insulin insensitivity and diabetes and again there, this can be a lack of release of the pancreatic enzymes, proteolytic enzymes, which is why we're experiencing such such degeneration within our physical bodies uh, and our mental and emotional states as well. When you think about it, more now than ever, there's so many common injuries and in sports, and um, there's a lot of hip fractures in the elderly. I know this has always been a case like, but the most the most prominent muscles that are going to sort of atrophy or digress within male or females as they get older is the abs and the buttocks. Now, you think about this here from a standpoint, the whole uh, psychoneurosomatic route, as in the whenever the muscles affect the nerves surrounding the organs as well. You know, it's all interplay here. The uh, the nerves surrounding the muscle also supplies the organs. You know, whenever your abdominal muscles, they start to sort of degrade as you get older, is this maybe interplay between the digestive system and the digestive organs? Maybe they're sort of diminishing in function as well, which is diminishing the abdominal organs or vice versa. Just these are certain things you can think about. So in order to prevent the macular degeneration, I keep on, sorry, I keep on going off in rants there, but in order to prevent that, you're going to need really need to utilize good, healthy, clean protein sources, not necessarily from toxic animals, and whether you want to do vegan, keto, or whatever, just make sure the protein sources are clean, they're good, they're healthy for your body, and then you may want to include some sort of hydrochloric enzyme or hydrochloric acid supplement and a protein digesting supplement as well. Um, like I say, there's a lot of information on my core page on some of the best supplements you can use, especially from bio-optimizers as well. They have a host of, they have a plethora really of supplements that you can use in order to improve your digestion. And then cooking healthy meals in your kitchen, it really boils down to how much time you're willing to spend to cook healthy meals, how much time you're willing to spend to cook meals in general, and really where you're getting your shopping and your resources from to cook. I mean, if you don't want to, if you're going in with the mentality that, um, you know, how can you cook healthy meals in your kitchen? It's really just getting the resources, the healthy foods, the healthy ingredients, and then spending time, taking some time apart to do the task. Now, I know a lot of us maybe think we don't have enough time, but it's your health, people. If you don't have the time to cook healthy meals, that's totally up to you. If you'd rather bling things in microwaves and use ready, ready cooked meals in ovens and stuff, that's totally up to you, but... If you're asking me how can nutrition help macular degeneration progression, I mean, I think you're in, you're maybe the person in need who needs healthy meals in the kitchen right now. So that's all I have to say on the, the issue. Just remember that the tiny protein muscle or the tiny muscles around your eye, if they're sort of leading to this macular degeneration, then you probably have a problem with protein um, absorption, protein digestion, absorption, utilization. So I would look into my digestive system firstly. firstly and see if it's working properly and then adding healthy sort of proteins to my diet as well 
Um, the second question here, can a rash be a sign of cancer? Uh, can a rash be a sign of cancer? This whole perception, that, I mean, people post these things like symptoms of cancer and all. Don't get me wrong, I made a YouTube video about it one time. Um, and I was just blurting out things that I read in a book from someone. Can rash be signs of a cancer? Can any sort of symptoms be signs of cancer? Yes and no. I mean, signs and symptoms such as rashes are just signs of a bigger fundamental homeostatic upset within the body. I mean, a rash could be you being allergic to some deodorant or perfume you're using or some conditioning in your washing detergent that you're using. It could be a sign of a parasite or a yeast infection, especially if it's in around the the uh, jock area, you know, in between the in around your nether regions, in the inside of the thighs where the major lymph nodes are. Um, I mean, rash being a sign of cancer, there are a lot of things that people put out there. I noticed this rash or I noticed this symptom and then I got cancer. It's not necessarily that. It's more necessarily there's bigger upsets to your fundamental homeostatic mechanisms within your body, whether that be your digestive system, whether that be the functioning between your liver, gallbladder and pancreas, or whether that be your mental and emotional state, resulting in physical ailments that we sometimes then bring to the forefront as like I said there I had this symptom and then I got cancer I mean people say I've people walk around sometimes and say because I have a headache you know I might have a brain tumour and that's even that language and that that sort of mental reprogramming is negative in itself and it's just be very careful with your words people and what you're saying because it can lead to the physical ailments that maybe you don't want in the future a rash being a sign of cancer though, however, it depends on, depending on where the rash is, depending on the severity of it. I mean, things like pruritus now, whenever your whole skin is itching all over your body. And again, do not take my word for this, people. Do not be saying, because you heard this in my podcast, that you went to the doctors and you may find out you have cancer. But whenever someone has itchy skin all over their body and it's getting quite rashy, this can be a sign of pruritus, which is when the liver has... The liver is sort of malfunctioning to an extent where metabolic toxins flood the body. They flood the blood and the lymph. And then this comes out as a rash and itchiness on the skin. Now perhaps if it's that severe, yes, that can be quite dangerous and I would get that looked at. But as as a rash in general, I mean, your body's going to sort that out. I mean, people get rashes every day, whether from little ticks, hives, bites. Like I said there, being allergic to things in your skin. If something in beneath the skin is erupting, you know, you're lucky that your skin's trying to, or your internal system's trying to get it out. And your body will deal with the problem, don't worry about that. The only thing I would worry about there, like I said, is pruritus. If you're constantly itching and your rashes, you may want to get your liver function tested out and go to the doctor and, and uh, see about that there. But, but as a general, don't be worrying too much about symptoms. Your body's going to do what it needs to in order to bring you back to homeostasis and in order to heal you. Next question here is... What is the role of the voltage-gated potassium channels? Um, this brings me back to science and secondary school. Um, the role of any sort of voltage-gated channels within the body, you need to remember your cells work with these little voltage-gated channels. When you think about your sodium-potassium pump, and even within the cell membrane, you have these little voltage-gated channels, the protein channels, um, which are able to receive a stimulus from the outside and the inside environment, and then provide the response. Um, I think this is... If you've ever watched on YouTube recently, the sort of worry about 5G and bringing that into the into the world now, I mean, is that going to mess up with our whole internal system? You know, the way we're, we are an electrically wired system, people. I mean, we need to remember that 
we work off a stimulus response. Um, we work from stimulus from our inside and outside environment, and then that provides a response within our within our bodies, whether that be physiological or psych- psychological. Um, the role of the voltage gated potassium channels. I mean, our whole our whole little um, cellular intake and outtakes work with these little voltage gated channels, and you know it's such a fine margin. I'd know what is it twenty seven or thirty four millivolts provides the action potential in order to open or close these channels. And really, getting it down to the fundamental level here, what you don't want to be happening, and this is the sign of cellular disease, your body's going to look after itself, okay? Don't worry about that there. All the little machinery that's working together, these little stimuluses and responses that are happening, your body is working in order to maintain homeostasis within your cells. Now, what you do not want happening, and this is the first sign of disease, is whenever there is an influx, whenever sodium begins to influx your cells, resulting in a higher concentration of sodium in the inside of your cells and when potassium actually floods out of the cells into the extracellular fluid. This is when this is the, the sort of hallmark of disease at the cellular level and this is what you don't want to happen. And it could be people with all this 4G and Wi-Fi signals and 5G coming that our little electrical circuits within our body are being impaired resulting in a lot of entropy, you know, dysregulation within the energy balance within the body and then this is probably why our cells are experiencing such turmoil, you know, at that level. And just remember, we sort of keep the balance between the elements, minerals, vitamins, or the elements and minerals at this level. You know, there's a steady influx of sodium and potassium, which is guided by the sodium-potassium pumps. And then at the cell membrane, you know, we receive stimuluses from our outside and our inside environment in order to open and close protein channels, in order to receive the messages that we need from our environment in order for the cells to act accordingly. Now whenever things such as stress and when other nutritional toxins enter our system, this is when we begin to see entropy and dysregulation at the cellular level. And especially with these little millivolt impulses, you know, this can be seriously impaired by the thoughts we're thinking, by the actions we're taking in life and by the stress that we accumulate in our bodies and also by the electromagnetic fields from our surrounding environments. So it's just something to think about there whenever we're thinking about buying 5G phones. And this isn't a random 5G and why we shouldn't get it. If you think you're going to be able to adapt and evolve to it, be my guest, work away. I certainly won't be getting the 5G phone. And I think, I'll be honest, I think it's a disgrace that we're going to be sort of shuttled and forced into this 5G environment. I mean, 5G is a and during the World War, maybe after the World War, you know, it's a military sort of army experiment. I mean, 5G, well, it's, it probably could fry you if you, were, if you were to get such a high dosage of it. It's probably not going to be that high dose that we're going to receive in our environment, but it's just the, the threat and the potentiality of something more dangerous happening. So that's my rant on 5G over. But just remember the effects that it can have at the cellular level. And you're talking about the role of your voltage-gated potassium channels. Well, they're very important. All these voltage-gated channels within our systems and our cells are very important. And any sort of discrepancies and entropy and dysregulation at that level is going to be very detrimental to our health. Um, what's the best Starbucks drink while on a low-carb diet? I mean, generally a black coffee, if you can handle it, an Americano, whatever, an espresso, as long as you're not overactivating your sympathetic nervous system into a state of chronic stress. Or, I mean, a lot of people have been telling me that whenever I put up a post about how coffee, especially when mouldy or toxic, I'm not saying Starbucks coffee is mouldy or toxic now, they have the cleanest water I think in the world with their filters, 
I enjoy Starbucks coffee from time to time. But whenever you're drinking mouldy toxic coffee, and whenever your system is already sort of adrenally fatigued, and you're in there, you're in that sort of sympathetic nervous, you're in that sort of sympathetic overload within your body due to accumulation of stressors. Um, adding coffee to that mixture probably isn't the best idea for people with anxiety and panic attacks. And you'll notice that whenever you do drink coffee and maybe too much, it can put you into a more anxious state. But while you're on that low carb diet, just a general black coffee. Well, you want to add cinnamon to that there to uh, reduce the sort of the uh, the blood sugar spike. Not that you're going to be getting a spike from drinking black coffee, but if you're adding milk, you can add a bit of cinnamon to your coffee. Um, and in general, I think it's just a very good it sort of helps the taste of the black coffee as well. Um, or cloves if you're wanting to be antiparasitic and antiviral. I mean, it could help in a minute. So that's my advice on Starbucks while on a low carb diet. Stay away from the toasties, cookies and uh, muffins and just have a black coffee. Um, how long can a person stay on a keto diet? Great question because it really depends on the person and depends on the symptoms you're experiencing and maybe the the symptoms you're trying to correct or the fundamental homeostatic upset within your body that you're trying to correct in the first place. I mean, keto is going to work for a lot of people because the generation before us and perhaps the generation before that, depending on what age you are, we were a very fat-deprived nation. And this came in after the whole Nixon ordeal whenever he passed the passed the act to allow for cheap foods within our diet. And then came the whole low-fat craze and the whole fitness craze. So people were overtraining and they weren't getting an, enough essential fats into their diet, which probably is a result, people, of all the, of a lot of the disease and conditions within our systems at the minute. I mean, if you think about your ancestors being very deprived of the essential fats, you know, it's building, it's very important for the cellular health, for the myelin sheaths around your nervous system. I mean, was this maybe the result of all the autoimmunity, the cancers, the heart attacks, the strokes within the, within our sort of growing up population now? Who knows? And I'm glad we're getting the healthy fats back into our diet. But there is an extent, there is a limit as to how far you can take this. I mean, people that are generally supposed to eat high fats and high, um, and a moderate amount of protein would sort of tend to sway towards more of the... Um, they tend to be more sort of parasympathetically dominant people. And whenever they begin to eat a, a keto diet, it sort of can keep them balanced for a while. But if they continue eating the sort of high proteins and high high uh, high fats without enough sort of without that balance of carbohydrates it can push them into too much of a sympathetic overload in which they may experience something such as anxiety insomnia and things of this nature um, whether if you're reading for a balance you know whenever you sort of correct the symptoms a lot of the times it's when people are too refined carbohydrate dominant and then whenever they turn keto, they notice a lot of their symptoms going away. But that's because a person who is you know, meant to be eating high fats and moderate proteins, and whenever they begin to eat something like veganism, it sort of pushes them into that parasympathetic overdominance, which can result in sort of autoimmune reactions and a lot of allergy responses. So it really it depends on your symptoms. I mean, I've done another podcast on this in much more detail, but it depends on what you're trying to do with the keto diet and then how long you can maintain it is really depends on you know are you experiencing any symptoms from the keto diet if you're not you probably can continue with it but if you're not if you don't experience energy clarity and focus throughout your day the diet probably isn't working for you 
So that's all I have to say on the topic. Is If it's working for you, yes, continue it. But if it's not working for you as, as much as it used to do, well, then you may need to reevaluate what you're eating. Um, next question here is, what are some tips for 12-hour fasting? 12-hour fasting, and this is a sort of time period I would recommend for women normally in order to prevent hormonal dysregulation. For males, this can be anything from 14 right up to 18 hours. Um, for 12-hour fasting, I mean, if you're getting 78 hours of sleep, well then that 4-hour fasting within the morning bracket, depending what time you get up at. If you wake up at 6 o'clock, I mean, you can have your first meal at 10, which doesn't seem so bad. If you wake up at 8, you can have your first meal around lunchtime, 12 o'clock. But my tips for fasting would be trying, trying to sort of incorporate more fluids around this time. Sometimes we mess up our perception of are we hungry or are we thirsty. So adding a, a lot of fluids to your sort of morning routine, maybe a liter or a liter and a half before you eat your first meal. Yogi fasting tea is another thing that helps to suppress the appetite. Or if you're a person who likes coffee, you know, maybe one or two coffees in the morning. See, people tell me that um, whenever you have a, a stick of butter or whenever you add coconut oil to your coffee, it sort of takes you out of ketosis or takes you out of uh, the fasting state. Maybe so, but I'm not a big fan of drinking coffee on an empty stomach anymore due to the risk of ulceration. Um, I like that little bit of protein and fat source from the butter and uh, the MCT oil, especially from the coconut oil. It sort of suppresses that um, overload of uh, sympathetic hormones as well within me and I don't get as anxious or feel panicky whenever I drink a black coffee with any of the butter or the MCT oil added to it. But it really is up to you and how you want to sort of extend that four or five hour period whenever you wake up. But for 12 hour fasting, as long as you're getting enough sleep, you know, 78 hour window, you really only have four or five hours to go whenever you wake up. And like I say, incorporate a lot of fluids, something like yogi fasting tea or, you know, enjoy your coffee. And then take your mind of it too. You know, you don't always have to be thinking about food. Engross yourself in a task for that four or five hours. You know, take it into little increments, 25 minutes on, 20 or five minutes off, go again. I just try not to think about food as much. Chewing gum, or chewing gum can also be beneficial. You know, people say that will stimulate the sort of hunger response. But in some people, I've noticed in other people's, you know, it sort of suppresses their appetite. For me, personally, no, that doesn't work. I can't chew gum. But uh, the coffee, the yogi tea, and then engrossing myself at a task definitely helps me. Um, what do I, why do I get stomach cramps when dieting? Basically, you're migrating motor complex. I'm going to do this answer quick because this is the last question. Basically, your migrating motor complex, your peristaltic uh, contractions are still happening within the stomach. I mean, you you could be starving yourself. Um, you could be thinking about food too much and that's producing hydrochloric acid within the stomach when there's no food there, which can result in things such as ulcers and perforation of the gut wall, leading to leaky gut syndrome and then further problems down the line. So just be careful how strict you're taking the dieting. I mean, are you consuming enough calories? Are you consuming enough calories to support hormonal regulation? Are you consuming enough calories to support homeostatic mechanisms in the body? The stomach cramps are definitely more than likely coming from the migrating motor complex. Whenever you're not eating but your body's still thinking about food and whenever perhaps you are hungry, then contractions are perhaps still happening. And it probably is a it probably is an indication that you're not consuming enough foods, whether that be from your healthy fats, your healthy intake of proteins, or from carbs, depending on where you lie on your metabolic type or um, what you need to balance your autonomic nervous system so just remember that maybe it is time to maybe ingest some 
and again you can ingest some yogi fasting teas in order to relax the stomach and um, coffee probably wouldn't be a great idea especially on an empty stomach like i said ulceration perforation of the gut wall and um, it can lead to sort of detrimental health effects so that's the end of the question and answer podcast guys it went a little on a little bit longer than i thought but um if you like this here give it an upvote give it a share give me a comment on what sort of questions you would like to see next keep on asking the question guys i'm going to keep on answering and hopefully you are all safe and well during this pandemic and i will hopefully speak to you all soon again thank you